So I don't think we're expecting, this is our pilot episode, I don't think we're expecting more than like, uh, not probably not more than like 150,000 listeners. Right. We're, we're like thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, yeah, 150,000 listeners, then like $10 a pop on the Patreon. $10 a pop on Patreon, yeah. Um, That's like 150, 180 bucks. Monthly. Yeah. Monthly. Oh, monthly, monthly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Each, did you say? 150 to 180? I think we'd be splitting 150 to 180. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. That'd be good. Sounds like good math. Yeah. Me. Solid. That's a solid 200K dollars. <laughs> oh, you're talking uh, thousands. Two, yeah, two, 200K. 200K. You're saying we get 100,000. How many listeners? 150,000? 150,000 listeners. 150 Hundo K. And then hundo, hundo five hundo K. (laughs) 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 I can't work with this man, Josh. Welcome to Odd Splice, the movie podcast that's only nominally about movies. Um, it's a new year, a new format, a new everything, a new me. Um, but the show's back uh, for however many of you listen to the old show. Uh, got some new collaborators in the in the studio in my palatial Humboldt Park estate. Uh, Start on my right here. Go with my uh, with my good friend Wes. Introduce yourself, Wes. Hey everyone, it's me, Wesley James, uh, renowned actor of some of the uh, smallest, least known stages in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, happy to be here. Those following my couple of projects in my lifetime uh, will be excited that I am on something new. Sick. And on and on my le- uh, my my. Your other right. Uh, on my other right. <laughs> my other right. Hey, wait, that's actually your right. And we're all facing the same direction. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> all right, on my other right, uh, my good friend Caleb. Introduce yourself, Caleb. What's up, everybody? This is Caleb, and I'm coming to you with all of your website and graphic design needs. <laughs> and just to give all the listeners out there a little visual, I... I'm currently wearing long underwear with some black dress shoes on. <laughs> it's it's not as silly as it sounds, but it's 100% true. And I, uh, I can attest to this fact. Um, I was inspired by Wes, uh, who said it's really important to get comfortable before you start recording. I had the good decency to request basketball shorts from our host. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Wes is wearing borrowed basketball shorts. My basketball shorts, like I've ever played a full game of basketball in my life. Yeah. Who amongst us ever has? <laughs> Who amongst us? Sports. Sports. So, alright, so these are... I got my guys. I got my guys with me. Um, so... Little rundown of the new format before we dive in here. Uh, so we started off with a theme. Uh, we picked a random theme. Uh, Wes over here supplied us with the first little 
you know, virtual hat full of themes from which we selected. Mm-hmm. That was a good hat. Um, this was the one I was actually most excited about, and I was yeah. uh, mm. I was too self conscious to submit a lone theme and be like, "This is what we should do." But I got a little got a little yeah. butterflies. Well, well, yeah. So before we before we announce the theme, like, so we start with a theme, and then uh, we sort of like arbitrarily divided ourselves into two camps here. So it is it is a two on one situation, uh, but each side uh, picks a movie based on that theme either to uh make a point or if it you know best encapsulates the theme as as literal or outlandish as it's up to interpretation exactly so i mean right it can be as uh you know simple as the the intent being to spark uh heated um, debate which is devoid of listening or empathy and in finality comes to blows I mean I if, I, if I still have <laughs> I've got dress shoes and long <laughs> I mean I'll be surprised if I still have you know both ears by the end of the night uh, so yeah I mean it's so we we have the theme pick the movies um, and then uh sort of duke it out i think we'll we'll try and announce a, a winner of some sort at the end uh just to see who you know argued more fervently uh for their choice but we'll see what happens uh this time around uh we did our best to uh not reveal each other's movies so this is sort of a grand experiment we'll probably be you know refining the format as we go on but i don't know i kind of like this new game show-ish setup so with with that you know it's a pretty simple setup and then we're just gonna you know fuck shit up uh so tonight's theme tonight's theme is utilized nonsense for the cheap seats utilized nonsense (laughs) so uh as the as the host but also a combatant in this uh arena of ideas um I think I'm going to let my opponents uh, reveal their choice first. Caleb, I think you should go ahead since it was it was your call. But I like, man, top marks. That if anything, if any film fit this bill. <laughs> ah, thanks, Wes. So, without further ado, and, well, with with, with further, further ado, ado, damn it, Josh has no idea what movie this is. <laughs> None, none whatsoever. I spilled the beans to Josh. <laughs> I didn't know it was supposed to be a surprise. Only hours ago did Josh learn. But the movie that I chose was a movie called The Lobster. From what I hear, it's a great movie. I haven't seen it, much to my great shame. Because uh, that I, I forget his, uh, what is it, Yorgos Lanthimos? I, some Greek guy directed it uh i've seen his first movie his new one looks really good and i heard great things about the lobster um so um before we launch into you know the discussion here uh i suppose i should reveal my choice um so entering the ring in a duos match alone uh (laughs) i submit for the panel anchorman 2 the legend continues wow now i did have the choice 
between which movie to see, and I did. I hadn't seen either of them before, and I did select The Lobster. Uh, I just want to give everybody the full context of, you know, going into this. You should know that I, I, I this could have gone a whole different way. Uh, if I were a better man, maybe. <laughs> no. <laughs> Having chosen The Lobster. I know. I mean, I uh, so not only am I entering the ring alone, I am entering with one hand tied behind my back. Uh, wow. <laughs> I also don't think I've seen it, and if I have, I've just yeah. seen parts. So uh, strap in for round about an hour of us explaining movies we haven't seen <laughs> to each other. Uh, yeah, bearing in, bearing in mind uh, the theme of the night, which is utilized nonsense, uh, I guess we'll, we'll start off sort of explaining our choices so uh well since caleb was the selector uh why did you choose the lobster oh man there's so many ways i could take this and i do want to get into the different ways that i understood nonsense in the movie i think there is a lot to talk about with different ways that nonsense and nonsensical ideas and and behaviors and movements occur in the film and after we finished watching it last night, Wes looked at me and said, I think you picked like the best movie for this category. So, I mean, I think I've already won the, the podcast basically is what I'm yeah. saying. But... It is mind-blowingly on point for the, for the prompt provided. Yeah. And so I want to dig into the different nuances with you guys. And I want to like, yeah. explain a little bit to you, Josh, at some point. But the biggest... The biggest reason that it came to mind for me is that it's kind of this dystopic future. Are you aware of the premise at all, even? Uh, yeah. What, what is it? Single people go to a hotel, and if they don't find a mate, they get turned into an animal? Mm-hmm. Okay, the, that's the premise I was what had stuck in my mind. I saw it, like, probably... When did it come out? You said early 2016? Yeah. So I'd seen it in theaters when it came out. Okay. You yeah. know, uh, almost three years ago now. So I didn't remember much of the movie. But the premise stuck in my mind, and one is dystopic, it's sci-fi-ish, mm-hmm. or, well, obviously they're turning humans into animals, but the premise of this nonsensical idea that you go to a hotel to find the one, for me, that was the nonsense idea, is that, like, literally companionship is only found in this one, um, I, I, they give them the choice of whether they want to find a hetero or homo partner like what like they like are using that language but not okay. both. what but not both right not but either. not both but but like this idea that you have the one and it's uh-huh. either another man or another woman and they're the one for you and you're going to find true love and that's what's going to bring you happiness and safety etc and for me that that premise stuck in my head that like that's the utilized nonsense is that they're using this like nonsensical idea that you can't find like love or happiness or joy or companionship outside of a romantic single partnership. Like the nuclear family is your one true hope. Right. Oh, damn. I, this is apropos of nothing and we can move on from it very quickly, but (laughs) I, having seen the entire movie, I I am a hundred and, and 50 hundo K percent sure that they did not have a machine in there that turned anybody into an animal. Well, yeah, <laughs> but we see animals throughout the movie. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and you don't think they're turning anybody no, into not turning people hmm. into animals? <laughs> what are they doing with them? They're killing. They just kill them. <laughs> there you go. Okay, 
we can get back to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, now I have to justify why uh, I brought Anchorman Two into this discussion. Uh, um. So utilized nonsense. Uh, for whatever reason, my. Uh, so Adam McKay has that new Dick Cheney movie coming out like soon if it's not already out now it's it's soon um, so I was just thinking about how like Adam McKay made like just these like pure farces back at like he did the original Anchorman and you know it was with Judd Apatow and everybody back in the early 2000s um, and then a few years ago he comes out with the big short which uh that was on my list. It was on your list. Really All right. Uh, that was on my list. You know, where, uh, you know, the big short was sort of a culmination of like a year's buildup where, uh, I don't know, I think with like the other guys where I distinctly remember like over the end credits is there's like an infographic about a Ponzi scheme, right? Um, so for whatever reason, at a certain point in Adam McKay's career, he decided to like take these like goof ass improvised you know, improvisational, improvisational, you know, that were just purely absurd uh, for, like, the first half of his career. And then by the other guys, all of a sudden he's like, I mean, he always probably had a social conscience, but for whatever reason, like, he got politicized and started using his platform as a fairly major Hollywood director to, you know, try and... (laughs) Be, uh, Sorry for those of you out in podcast edge, land. Caleb is uh, smoking a uh, spring roll like a remarkable cigar. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's an impressive visual. Uh, yeah, and so like the easy choice would have been the Big Short or the other guys, um, but I went with Anchorman too because it's like it's the weird one that does not fit. Um, it's it's kind of this weird. Uh, point where the most incongruous pieces of adam mckay's career maybe pre and post the other guys are sort of smashed together and nobody seems particularly enthusiastic about it but it winds up being i don't know it I, this is the way i've like explained my love for this maybe love is an overstatement but uh affection for anchorman 2 is it's nowhere near as good as the first movie, like consistently or throughout. Um, but it has like two or three scenes in its runtime that made me laugh harder than the first one did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how how much of it is a is an indulgent bad sequel, and how much of it is its own movie that is using the same characters? So that's that's really the the litmus for me, rather than oh, it's like eighty twenty. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like there's a lot of chaff in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was like, and so it embodies utilized nonsense in that it was it was trying to take, you know, the character, you know, all the characters from Anchorman, taking Ron Burgundy and then making like this socially cogent point uh, about like media. And it's like, I, and I guess the argument could be made that the first Anchorman was its own sort of media farce, but like, uh, you know, Anchorman 2 does wind up being just like network for dumbasses. Mm. Uh, which I both admire and it chafes me a little bit. Um, yeah, so that's why I... Where does it chafe I, you, Josh? Where does it... Uh, the, the crotchal region. He <laughs> 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 sticks the landing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
so I mean, so I guess uh, we have to throw a justification for why we chose these flicks. Okay. So, uh... Uh, for a for a sort of baseline, the inspiration for this prompt for utilize nonsense was the I was I was trying to think about what what should we be focusing on for these, and uh, the thing that came to mind here was how would I describe the uh, potty mouth argument from the movie Hook, which I think would have been a, a great if if maybe a little bit yeah. obvious choice for this test. That would have been such a good choice. But I, I think that that is one of, like, just the most pure example of utilized nonsense. Just, we are we are using it for a purpose and it exists, but remember, this is silly. I guess we can dive into the points the movies themselves are making. So, I mean, if we want to jump back to the lobster again, like, uh, the utilized nonsense is the nuclear family itself. In a way. In a way. I'm curious what how Wes interpreted it. There's a lot of ways you could interpret it in that film. And yeah. I want to talk about more of them. Alright, and I mean it goes without saying, like, spoil the hell out of me. Like I'll still watch it. Cool. Probably uh, after you leave. Later good. There's tonight. no good way to talk about this movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, spo- spoiler no, alert but, going forward, we're gonna spoil these movies. Um don't I mean they're they're old and well, Anchorman 2 is weirdly hard to find unless you like bought the movie because like yeah, no like one cares. Never do that. No one cares. You I wouldn't buy the movie. I buy <laughs> Don't I would I would kinda say like Maybe don't buy the lobster without having watched it first, because we, mm-hmm. where we keep falling is like I really don't want to see that movie again for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I watched it three years ago, and I think I had the same reaction yeah. I had this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it's not a good movie; it's just a one. It's like a one and done type of thing. It's a damn it, good movie. Yeah, uh, I think I almost think it's more of a compliment that way. It's it's not a comfort movie. It's mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. effective. Mm-hmm. So what'd you, what'd you take from it that was nonsense or utilized or both? Uh, the first 30 or 40 minutes of the movie, it, the movie has really severe act changes uh, a couple times to three acts, I think you could probably call it. Um, and the, the first 30 or 40 minutes makes some serious hay out of nonsense. It's, it's the comic heart. And you, you, you really get in the vibe of like, I'm watching a, a not even particularly bleak, dark comedy shot in the sense of a thriller, shot in the style of a thriller. <laughs> and it's very exciting to, to make all these realizations and be like, they're, they're shooting Shaun of the Dead like it's psycho and it's fucking awesome. And then, uh, slow, why is there a phone in here? Why is there a phone in here? Oh, it's <laughs> in the other room. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Casting aspersions at my roommates here, man. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and then it, it becomes uh, completely not that movie that you're expecting. But the first thirty or forty minutes are hilarious. It, they're so they're so funny. But the the whole movie, like the the constant um, uh, re- recurring premise, is like it, it, it's it's using nonsense to call out the nonsense in day to day life, and not in a like your life is mundane type of personal call out. It's more just like, guys, this is ridiculous. This is all ridiculous. <laughs> so to give one example, yeah. I think for me is, um, that they, they do this like series of propaganda brainwashing. They're, they're, they're constantly brainwashing and like inundating the 
I guess you call them the guests or the customers in the hotel who have, I'm assuming paid for it or just are forced by, by state law to participate in this program mm -hmm. where your partner's died, you go to the hotel to find a new partner. And so they showed in one of the hotel conference areas, they have a little stage set up and um, the first time we're introduced to the stage is the, the newcomer, so Colin Farrell is part of the group and they're introducing themselves and they get a chance to give one defining characteristic <laughs> and so even that is still in this like first act where it's like really dark humor and you're you're just meeting all the characters and they're they're couching things they're introducing themselves as like and that's my defining characteristic right. <laughs> <laughs> and like even the one story is like really dark anyway it and then you see this conference room several more times and many of the times you see it they're using it for this propaganda brainwashing um, purpose where uh, one of them is really funny and it's just man eats dinner alone and so a man just sits at like a mock table with an empty plate of food and pretends to put food in his mouth and then pretends to be choking on something and then just keels over on the chair <laughs> and then it's like man eats dinner with partner and then he sits down with uh, one of the okay. uh, young women who is working at the he's hotel. A, he's an old, old man, an intentionally old man. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like sitting down pretending and this like young woman who's employed there uh, is pretending to be his wife and he starts choking again and she gives him the Heimlich and he, his life is saved, blah, blah, blah. And another one's more severe where they show a woman walks alone at night. What, one of the... So, maybe one of the... Trigger warning for that. Yeah, but, probably the, the darkest or among the darkest and most problematic or among the most problematic pieces of that movie is that, that clearly intentional, like clearly not tone deaf... Mm -hmm. uh, scene that that resorts to silliness in that manner. It's, mm. it it's, I don't know. Again, the, my, the one of the first things I said when the movie was over is like, man, I'm, I, it's been a long time since I saw a movie I was not smart enough to analyze, <laughs> but that one's got me beat. <laughs> so that's a little bit of context of what's going on okay. in the hotel. But just at every turn, they're trying to convince you that you need a, a life partner or else your safety is in danger, right. your health, etc. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I don't, I've, uh, I don't know, I feel like I've had a lot of conversations about the, um, I don't know, centrality of a romantic relationship to life and how, like, I, I don't know, I feel like friends and some family are like, yeah, this is good, but it's not the center or most fulfilling thing in my life. or And not the yeah. only thing. And I think yeah. we can talk about it some more. Because uh, one of the things I wrote down in my notes was like, that it ends up, like I could actually critique it. It ends up being like a meta thing where it's trying to critique how much we buy into um, like finding the one. But then, at the, but then the third act, actually, yeah, really the third act, it becomes clear that these two people have found each other. They found the one. And then you're rooting for them. Mm -hmm. So it becomes this meta thing where then I'm like, wait a second. This movie is critiquing it. And by the end of the movie, you're rooting for the people who right. have found the one. Because the shift happens in the second act where they call in Farrell escapes. And uh, he's got like less than a week left. He escapes. 
and comes across a colony of like folks who live in the woods intentionally. Well, actually, they're kind of forced into exile because um, you see that the government will stop you and arrest you and send you to the hotel if you. you there's there's only the woods, the city, and the hotel. And mm-hmm. the hotel is where you go when you're single. The woods are where you go when you're exiled, and the city is where you go when you're a couple. So, mm-hmm. if if it, if the exiles go into the city, which they do, they have to go pretending to be couples. But to be allowed among the exile society, you you're not allowed to do coupley things like flirt, kiss, have sex. You may masturbate. Which you may you masturbate. Can't do, you can't do in the hotel. What <laughs> <laughs> you can do in the woods. In the oh, hotel, God. they have the the. This is actually another dark moment yeah. where they have the young woman uh, employee. She they there's several. One scene that she sits on Colin Farrell's lap and just rubs her abs against his crotch, and then. She stands up and goes, you became erect um, quicker that time. That's good. <laughs> and then he's like, what, go ahead. They're, they're trying to increase um, urgency in, in everybody by getting them horny every day. And he's like, please don't go. Please, like, please just a little bit longer. <laughs> can, we, can we not today? <laughs> can we not? Yeah, before she starts, he goes, can we not today? <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. And, and at first I'm like, oh, he feels bad for her. It's like, no, he just... He's just getting yeah. turned down. Right. <laughs> well, shit, I need to see this movie. It's, um, it's uh, let's get some Anchorman up ends. Oh, I... I, I said earlier that it's kind of network for dumbasses because uh, it is like a sort of pointed media satire. Um, it's kind of like, well, luckily, like we've all we're all, you know, white men of a certain age. Um, Anchorman had probably far too much to do with how we formed our senses of humor mm-hmm. and personality. Mm-hmm. It's safe to when say. When I was 13. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to think I grew out of that sense of humor, but. For a while, yeah. it was the only thing I ever quoted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd like I mean, to think just... that, too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It is funny. I did, I did uh, well, to, once I sort of, like, formulated the idea for this podcast and chose the movie, the next day I did buy both Anchormans on DVD. So I watched, yeah, Anchorman 2, and then I circled back to Anchorman 1, and then it's just, like, I... Still stand by it. Two to three parts in Anchorman 2 that make me laugh harder than anything in the first one, but the first one is just a much better movie mm-hmm. all the way through. Uh, you, After Anchorman 2, you realize how uh, restrained Will For- Ferrell's performance in the first Anchorman is. Oh, yeah. It's, it really, it's a non-sequitur movie, and it was we hadn't seen anything like that. There are, what, I, Anchorman 1? Yeah, I, and I, I, I hadn't at least, maybe yeah. ever, if not, like... Mm-hmm. We have made movies like that before, but not it. It hadn't really come back around in our era. It's right, just like movies of people saying kind of non-related funny things with a very loose or plot, like, mm-hmm. or just like a, you know this willingness to like uh, I don't because like the '90s era of comedy was like uh, it was like what could go wrong type humor or like was, I mean well, but you had like you had like Dumb and Dumber and then. Uh, like American Pie, so you had this yeah. like these PG thirteen like sort of absurdist 
pieces and then the r-rated sex comedy and then that sort of gets recapitulated in the early 2000s basically by judd apatow and company what if you Um, were what if you were a high power lawyer but something goes wrong and now you can't lie right (laughs) yeah right yeah the high concept ones um Mm -hmm. but then like yeah er, early 2000s there's just this glut of uh yeah thoroughly absurdist farces where i mean yeah anchorman's like pretty like the first anchorman is a live action cartoon yeah through and through like i mean i don't i don't want to impugn anybody who made it but i have to think that they they stumbled into absurdist comedy by over worshiping improvisationists like oh yeah completely they Mm. they they knew that they had funny people and i think that writers and directors and editors didn't want to be like was this funny like Will Ferrell did it, so yeah, yeah. right. It was right, like, I, and I think that uh, sometimes you can and that's see definitely when that's happening, and that's definitely the problem you get in the second movie because, like, yeah. you get the feeling that they cut a lot out, but everything was too precious to cut out because it's like this is Will Ferrell, this yeah. is like you've got the band back together, but uh, like, okay, so I feel like I've I've sort of halfway shit on my own selection. Let me talk about why I actually like this movie. Uh, yeah. uh, Please. <laughs> Um, Ca- oh, so. caveat while we're there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, what part of what makes people like Will Ferrell excellent comedians is that they know how to throw a ton against the wall, and then if, if they're doing their own thing, edit down to what sticks. So if you get a bunch of people who are just saying, "God, everything he throws at the wall is gold," yeah. you're gonna end up with something that's, that's incomplete. That's right. The, I mean, and it's uh, you know, to supplement that is like Will Fer- like Steve Carell, uh, like I, I think Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd at least were known commodities. Yeah, yeah. At the time, but Steve Carell and like David Kaechner like fucking exploded yeah, after that, that movie office. came out. That was pre-office. Yeah. Um, like I don't know. I remember yeah, watching. I remember seeing Anchorman in theaters, and then just like, oh wow, brick. Rick Tamlin is really funny. I want to see what that guy's... And then, like, the show came out. Yeah, and then, like, uh, that guy is hilarious. And then The Office came out, and it's like, holy fuck. And then, like... like, Oh, they got Brick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they got Brick. I'm pretty sure I actually said that out loud at some point. Yeah. Um, So, which leads me back to the highlights. There is a a romantic subplot for Brick Tamlin (laughs) in Anchorman 2, and it's between Steve Carell and Kristen Wiig, and it is if you just edited those scenes together you'd have this like just perfect absurdist art film like it is just that like just those so there's like yeah those Uh, those few scenes are just they're fucking gold and uh she's like the perfect compliment to him uh, and she plays like his mirror image and they just find each other and it's it's amazing like they just they just i mean Steve Carell and Kristen Wiig are just masters of deadpan. And so they're just, they're spouting this, like, absurd... And then just breaking into, like, you know, uh, almost, you know, violent exuberance all at the same time. It's it, it's something to watch and, like, just an absolute highlight. Uh, so there's those. Um, and then there's a scene of physical comedy where the uh, Ron has been... Uh, I don't know, I sort of run the, the plot a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think we can handle some Anchorman 2 spoilers. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Spoiler warning, everybody. 
Um, so, this is Wes Robinson. Spoiler warning from right. this moment on. We will be spoiling Anchorman 2. It's right. in my contract that you don't imitate me. This is Wes Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> this is my normal voice ever since puberty. You won't believe me, but it's real. People look at me weird in public, and it's my real voice. You guys said you wouldn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Anchorman 2 starts off with uh, Ron and Veronica both hosting a, you know, national evening news. Um, And then they get called up to the office. And then there's a Harrison Ford cameo, which I will argue is one of the better Harrison Ford performances in Latter Day. It's actually pretty good. Um, It perfectly, like... He's either drunk or high out of his mind, and somehow it works for the whole scene. Wait, it's is great. he playing Harrison Ford? Oh, uh, no. He's Mac Tannen. <laughs> <laughs> Mac Tannen. Um, like, veteran anchor at the... Anyway, so... Uh, they both get called up. They think they're going to get a promotion. Veronica gets promoted. Ron gets fired. And then Ron gives Veronica an ultimatum. He has to choose... She has to choose him or the job. Oh, wow. She chooses the job. Good. It fast-forwards months later. Ron is back in San Diego at SeaWorld, like, drunkenly introducing dolphin shows. <laughs> and then uh, some guy from... Uh, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I feel obligated to ask this question. He goes back to San Diego and does not end up in a glass case of emotion? Uh, the glass case is implied. But he doesn't. You don't actually see him. It sounds like SeaWorld is the last case of emotion. That's right. Yeah. There. No, he's not actually in a glass case. But that would have been a spectacular uh, callback. Yeah. I wish they would have done that scene again. Uh, Yeah. Wes, just for the record, Wes and Josh are trying to avert eye contact while we're while I talk about the glass case of emotion. (laughs) It's that. So there's. There's something that we haven't discussed even off podcast, or maybe we'll, maybe if we discuss it now, it will be edited out. But as of me saying this, it is not then. Which is, I think we're all really trying not to devolve into just 45 minutes of us quoting Anchorman. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. I guess uh, I, I already pushed the envelope too far. God damn it. I was it, already uh, doing a it's, little Anchorman foreplay, if you will. Because right. I'd say, I'd say like 10 or 15% of my active brain power every day, all day, <laughs> is not, is being used not to quote Anchorman. <laughs> God, just Let's like move, a... I'm about to do it. Let's move <laughs> Right, yeah. Um, I'm really close. Okay, so... Right. Uh, so the plot, so Veronica Veronica and Ron split up. Veronica becomes a successful, like, national news anchor. Ron is disgraced back in San Diego, gets approached by a guy who represents a 24-hour cable news channel, basically CNN, but it's called GNN, because copyrights, uh, to, hey, we're gonna, we got 24-hour news, we got slots to fill, get your news team back together. So he gets the team back together, uh, to go... For the 24-hour cable news thing. Does it do a Tony Stark, like, assembling your team montage? Yes. Yes. And it culminates in the, like, the one scene I remember with just vivid clarity that still holds up. Uh, Ron is, to assemble the team, had been driving around in a Winnebago. Has gotten the team together, and it's just a shot of them in the Winnebago. Nobody is in the driver's seat. (laughs) 
They're just what? sitting in the yeah. back. Do you know where this is going, Matt? <laughs> no. Oh, God. They're sitting in the back of the Winnebago just chatting. Uh, and they're like, uh, all, and then, like, Paul Rudd's like, hey, who's driving? And uh, Ron's just like, uh, oh, it's on cruise control. It's fine. Hey, would anyone like a chimichanga? And then he goes over to a deep fryer and starts deep frying chimichangas. <laughs> and then Champ looks down and he's like, Hey, Ron, uh, why do you have an aquarium full of scorpions and a bag of bowling balls uh, here? And he's like, oh, actually, it's a funny story. So, of course, the Winnebago <laughs> hits the side of the road, goes off-road, and starts tumbling. And you're treated to, like, 90 seconds of slow motion. Everybody just floating in midair. Like, somebody gets burned with oil. And then somebody gets hit with scorpions. <laughs> like, multiple bowling, ball. bowling balls. We found a gentleman. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Okay, so I I saw this movie in theaters with my family, and I don't think we've ever collectively laughed harder than we went than watching Steve Carell take a bowling ball to the gut in slow motion. Like it's it's just a perfect piece of like slapstick and it's them like throwing the budget around and it's like, all right, this one scene and of course they removed that fucker in the director's cut. And that was the funniest part of that fucking Remember movie. in like twenty eleven that slow motion anti gravity special effects were like Inception was the the vanguard of special effects for being able to pull that off. And they right. spent months and millions creating those effects. And now Anchorman 2 is doing it. So, uh, yeah, so there's that scene, and then I'll argue the biggest thing of fan service is a massive news anchor fight right at the end of the movie yeah. that is obvious fan service uh, but skips but gets pushed to such absurd heights that it becomes good again <laughs> i i knew it was going to be in there and i figured that like i i know the people who make movies can see me coming so i figured that i would i would yeah. be goaded yeah goaded somehow into mm-hmm. liking it anyway mm-hmm. yeah yeah so there's so the the bit of utilized nonsense is uh, uh, Ron joins the twenty four hour news network uh, and then basically invents Fox News like he's the first one to show a car chase live on TV like shit like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like I remember that yeah that bit of um, social satire or whatever it's a network for dumbasses and then it like you know he forsakes his. Uh, whatever to go be with his family actually you know he doesn't even like uh denounce anything he just winds up succeeding again um who brick well ron Ron. Mm. which oh interesting pull uh there was a little bit in the first anchorman where they say brick went on to be like an advisor for the bush administration yeah (laughs) like the george w bush administration so it's like there's that little nugget of something in there uh, Can I use that to segue? Yes, very much so. Okay. Indeed. There is, there are two moments that I want to talk about in the lobster that I think encapsulate utilized nonsense in a different way than what we were talking about earlier. That I are two of my favorite moments in the movie. 
And Wes, I want you to like jump off of this. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna describe them first. The, I'll start with actually my favorite one, my favorite moment. It was about two thirds of the way where transitioning kind of from that second act to third act. But really, when we first get to the woods and the, with the uh, like the exiled colony, basically of loners, they call themselves, um, and are kind of forced to be loners. Um, when we first get in the woods, I go, oh, Wes. Oh, I forgot this moment. But then it's like 20 minutes later, that, or like 30 minutes later, that we finally get it. Where they have this budding romance, but because they're not allowed to flirt, because they're not allowed to make love, etc., um, they have devised... Uh, it's, a be- it's like the most beautiful moment of utilized nonsense. They've devised all these signals to speak to each other. They, they create so, a whole language. So the whole movie, you have this narrator, which is, um, oh, you, you said her name earlier. Um, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The narrator is the one, the woman he falls in love with. We'll call it Colin Farrell's lover, or David's lover. Rachel Weisz? Yeah. Okay. Rachel. Right. So she's the narrator's... Haven't even seen the movie. So she's the narrator's voice, and near the end of the movie, it, it's revealed that, that she's journaling. And so you're getting her okay. journal entries. And so it kind of, uh, she's kind of like backtracking as, as told to her by Colin Farrell's character, um, what happened in the hotel, and then once he meets her in the woods, and then they're budding romance, and you, and you start to get that from her perspective. And so she's explaining in this journal that they had all these hand signals and, and body signals. It's the most beautiful, like intimate, and weird, nonsensical thing. But like they, what's the first one they say? If you if I turn my head to the right, it means I, I'm I'm fiercely in love with you. And if I turn my head to the left, it means I mean you're an incredible danger. <laughs> <laughs> so like we spent the first few weeks working really hard to make sure we turned our head the right direction. <laughs> and they, but then like one's like standing up, one's like laying down. Put it, your arm straight ahead. They're but they're carrying it on. It, it cuts to like it becomes this, uh, like Holocaust film reminiscent like mm. secret flag signal type thing but they're doing the most conspicuous things you could think <laughs> rubbing their elbows on each other and just like manipulating their like bodies touching and, the wo- touching bark on the tree <laughs> and it's not it's not like they're miming anything it's not like they're being uh obvious it's just they're not even looking at each other barely it's just incredibly conspicuous anybody was anybody watching would notice these two were doing something really weird and obviously needed to be punished. Because <laughs> the rest of the colony is just kind of like camping out at, right. at moments. And at a certain point, they switch from... The, I, I actually think that this might be the most... Because uh, the whole movie, almost every scene of that movie is the whole movie mm-hmm. in, a, in a really incredible way. But I think the biggest one, if you had to identify one, is eventually he starts describing the physical motions that he's doing to her so that she can, so that they can, she can't see anymore, and he's speaking their language that they have made of mm-hmm. physical motion. But he has to just, just, I'm, I'm rubbing my elbow and raising my left leg three inches and kicking it slightly forward and tilting my head and looking upwards with my eyes, and she's deciphering all that in a way that you can't because you don't know their ridiculous cipher. And, then and she says, "Are uh, you prepared to do that?" Damn. Like, because he was talking about them, like, finally trying to make a run for it. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, he had, he had, 
like described this whole so that is a beautiful moment another similar beautiful moment for me on the same track because they've fallen in love with each other is that they they make these trips to the city so they're typically in the woods in ponchos and like you know um camping outfits but then they get dressed up in nice suits to go to the city every now and then so it's it's Colin Farrell and Rachel Wise, mm-hmm. and then the leader of the group, which is this like red-haired woman and uh, a white guy in the group, like because they have to pose as married couples, mm-hmm. and so the t- the four of them walk into the city every now and then, I guess, to get supplies, basically. Like they just go to the mall for the most part, or like go get medicine or go get food, whatever. I think that's probably why they take those trips, but then they always. <laughs> make this stop at the leader's parents home and like her parents are like weird and like think she works for some company like they think she has like a normal job they're very simple yeah they're just like these like simple upper middle class folk who like and like and so and so at one point they're in the city and um they're they're in the parents home and the two couples are trying to pretend that they're married you know to keep the ruse up and Colin Farrell starts describing what he wit like he starts telling the parents how much he loves his wife and how much he loves their kids but even if they didn't have kids they'd go on trips to Greece and they go on trips to Europe and it's like it was just another moment of like even this even when they're together they're so full of longing yeah. all the time but it was like also like this like this is so like outlandish that he's describing something that's not real pretending it's real mm-hmm. and he wants it to be real like it's also nonsensical but like also so real i don't know is it it's a beautiful moment um biggest things when analyzing media that i learned with my fancy theater degree what is it doing how is it doing it what is the benefit or the worth uh i think with that in mind probably maybe time to hear some closing arguments okay so uh so anchorman 2 I think is is trying to illustrate the dangers of mass media and manipulation um, by sort of re-mythologizing its origins through a familiar character. How it's doing it, uh, you know, well, through Ron Burgundy, which is kind of a double-edged sword, like Mm -hmm. it it delivers, uh, I don't know, like trying to shoehorn Ron Burgundy into that story like makes sense in a certain way but like there's too much baggage for the message to really ring clear and then it still has this like kind of through line where you kind of want to see him to succeed even though he's a piece of shit uh, it, it is a weird it's a total gray area for that character is he can, uh, can you root for Ron Burgundy and it's like going back to the first one I mean I think it's pretty clear he's a monster yeah um, but then, like the the counterpoint is like all the the women characters in those movies are sort of despicable in their own ways. Which, what really? I don't. Well, I mean, like Veronica's uh, sort of, you know, in the first one shown as like you know she's uh, you know she's the one who puts fuck in the teleprompter and gets Ron fired in the yeah. first one. But why did she do that? So she'd actually get the main spot on the. Mm. So it's like the all the women in it are you know also careerists, which is uh, you know yeah, another she, thing. Yeah, she's definitely which is, she, yeah. she uses duplicity to fight patriarchy, yeah. which is yeah. I don't know. Which I mean, and, and 
yeah, I mean, we can get into the whole, you know, rep, you I know, don't think they're the same, but I get to your point. Right. Out. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, and I think it's safe to say, like, there's no heroes. Like, they're, oh, okay. Maybe I'm discovering how brilliant both of them actually are. I mean, it is just showing that everybody in media is, you know, sort of a vapid asshole that doesn't really care about uh, anything. Um, but there's like a few nods to truth, but you know, by the end of Anchorman two, it's like he's denounced his his twenty four hour news car chase bullshit, but he just runs back to the embrace of the nuclear family, and you know, never really gets punished for you know basically creating hell, you know, inaugurating the hell we live in. Um, hmm. Yeah, like the celebrity of. The news anchor or like the celebrity of the well not even that just like yeah that whole 24-hour news cycle uh news is entertainment right right i mean mm-hmm. he basically uh and i don't think I, I i fully mapped it but i mean i think the um like the you know the the original news team you know ron brick champ and wow i'm forgetting paul brian fantana um <laughs> sex panther right <laughs> brian fantana champ kinds brian fantana no you're brick no you're brick. <laughs> i'm brian <laughs> sorry hold the it. line <laughs> hold the line i said sex panther we just open <laughs> yeah yes yeah, i, I warned true you. story <laughs> true story since i have to tell it since we're talking about anchorman my friend in high school uh, we had a, a what homecoming week, you know, before the big homecoming football yeah. game, and every day you have a different theme, and one of the days' theme was like group day, and so me and me and three of my good friends dressed up as the Anchorman crew. <laughs> Were you Brian Fitzhenna? No, I was Ron Burgundy. Yes. <laughs> Did you have a mustache then? Um, How early were you growing that mustache? This was high school, so I would not have had the stash big, going. Big, fake I think mustache. I had a big fake one, yeah. Okay. That I like, you know, spray painted kind of burgundy. Yeah. And then I think I had a plaid suit coat. In the movies, they have plaid pants and like, yeah. and like solid colored coats, but I did it reverse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we had Champ, Brian Fantana, and Brick, my buddy Eric, looked just like, looked just look at Brick. Anyway, um, my buddy who played Brian Fantana. He drove me to school that day, and before we walk in, he goes, Caleb, Caleb, I got some gasoline here. I got some Sex Panther. I was like, dude, you got to do it. Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. <laughs> he did it on both sides of his neck. Oh, that's my God. Awesome. He put on the Sex Panther. Oh, There's and no way that's good for you. I said that to him. I was like... Brian, I'm not going to lie to you. That, that smells like pure gasoline. You just did the same line back to, Anyway. Okay. That is... I mean, no. hey, that's dedication just to a cut. bit. Do a, do bleeps over all of our Anchorman quotes. Yeah. <laughs> just make them unabashedly. Please bleep them out. Um, but... Uh, leave, leave in the fuck words, but bleep out the Anchorman uh, But yeah, circling back, I mean, I think the, the original news team, like, could be archetypes for modern, like, right-leaning media figures like yeah. camp kind is like hmm. by the end of anchorman 2 it's pretty clear he's like you know uh like repressed conspiracy guy yeah mm-hmm. um like mm-hmm. not like almost he could like he'd eventually become like an alex jones or yeah. david ike type um 
well, Brick Tamlin, like, he winds... I think that's that's already stated. He winds up being an advisor to the George W. Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, he, that becomes its own cool commentary of, like, how how status will, will get yep. you where where talent will. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. But, uh, so there's that. Uh, Brian Fantano's definitely, like, a manosphere pickup artist dude, like, lifestyle douche. Uh, mm. And then I think... He'd, he'd I be, th- like, an Instagram star of today. Something like, like, like that. He'd use his celebrity in Instagram. To right. Like I mean, he'd be like a Mike Cernovich type. Like he'd be hawking weird brain pills and then telling yep. you how to like, mm-hmm. oh my god, do can date we, rapes. Can we pivot this podcast to just lambasting fucking men's rights activists? <laughs> yeah, because this is also like, it's like a commentary on like white maleness too. You know, yeah. Like these are all white dudes. I, just I have. I have at least a hundred thousand. I have at least a hundred a hundred k hours. Hundred a hundred k hours. I think that's the first T-shirt idea. Just hundred k hours. Oh man, we should do an episode on that. Oh man, should I'll add it to the the topics list? Yeah, manosphere MRAs. I saw a pickup artist in the wild once. I won't. I won't tell the whole story while we're trying to talk about movies yeah, but yeah. oh my god it's it's exactly as bad as the internet <laughs> has made it out to be um damn but anyway so capping it off i think ron burgundy just becomes your bog standard of bill o'reilly type yeah. like he just delves into hmm. just being that or like a sean hannity or something like that i think he could easily go there wow wow uh, for those of you those still with us chill. <laughs> right for those of you still with us at this point um uh, Josh is uh, sort of, he's got sort of a pirate build, sort of a pirate glint in his eye, and kind of a pirate haircut. It's like a it's like a modern hipster Logan Square haircut. I should know I've got a very similar one. Yeah. But I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> if you were looking for identical white men, look no farther, but uh, the, the notable thing is that Josh also has a, a voluminous, lustrous beard. And he's currently holding an open bottle of what appears to be Maker's Mark whiskey. Oh, Maker's Forty Six. It's Maker's Forty Six, and he doesn't. There's no shot glass in sight. I think he's just going to swill from it like a like a brigand. He's doing it now, and it was slightly more badass than I pictured it. Being. Wow! And I pictured it really high up there. That Man, was a it jug. Was, it was cool. <laughs> It was cool, guys. <laughs> I was cool. It. it was cool. So, yeah, you know. Um, okay, so in the middle of what were they doing? How did they do it? What's the benefit or the, the worth? Benefit, what's the benefit or the worth? All right, so I think I've... Yeah. Uh, I've kind of circled back into saying that both Anchorman movies are incredible pieces of media satire... Um, so the worth is you get to learn how bad the media is again, but also laugh at Will Ferrell jokes. Uh, it's, or just like, you know, a few absurdist set pieces. I don't, it made me laugh and it's like, oh, I see what you're doing there. And I don't, it's, it's, I I think the benefit is really seeing Adam McKay's evolution as a filmmaker overall like it's like oh okay so he's taking like his most inherently silly premise and like trying to you know inject some substance in there with middling results and more money than he knows what to do with uh 
which you know gave way to you know some pretty spectacular set pieces and uh, just a glut of cameos like I, Harrison Ford, Liam Neeson shows up in there, Will Smith, <laughs> Kanye West, Drake, Jesus, Marion Cotillard, <laughs> Tina Fey, Amy. Po- I'll stop, but anyway, it's worth it's worth checking out Anchorman two again. Um, all right, the Lobster the final arguments. And then Do you I, want to start, Wes? I think. Uh, well, before we get to the end of this, I think. Wes, we're, you're gonna. I'm gonna declare you like points czar. I'll let you declare a winner, even though you're obviously biased. I'm. I'm because I'm the host and I wield the most power, and I need to like seed some of it. I'm unbelievably biased, but I I will I will try but, to. Uh, uh, I'll I'll try to parcel out a point system. Uh, so I'll give my answer first, and then won't won't listen to Caleb at all while he talks. Yeah, <laughs> like per usual. While you while you tab you. Per No, um. Uh, I I hesitated to bring up this this rating process because what is the lobster doing is one of the hardest <laughs> questions I've ever had to mm. attempt to answer. Um, uh, the lobster is attempting to encapsulate what it feels like to be lonely and the uh, numerous constant. Uh, proud and painful concessions that go into that state of being Mm. and uh, how is it doing that Uh, by uh, refining and refining and refining those feelings to to such a, a clean point that that element exists throughout every second of the movie so that you never ever forget that these characters are lonely and they are making concessions to not be that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's doing that without indicting not being lonely. It's, it's not saying this is the only way that humanity is. It's not, it's not trying to make a greater point than what it's trying to make. It's, it's just, um, it, it's, it's just presenting a singular point of view in an extremely, uh, universally approachable and comprehensive way. Can I push back? Absolutely. Okay. I love all that because I think the dystopia that it presents and the world it like sucks you into immediately does that. It strips away every other distraction or possible circumstance to literally focus you in. And I think the feelings it evokes are so powerful. So I don't want to take away from any of that. I want to come back to it. But I also don't feel like it... I think you could read it a different way and say it's not loneliness. That it's... Or it's a fabricated loneliness. Like some of them are desperate. The woman who... Spoiler alert again. Who jumps out of her window is like a really powerful moment of of desperation and... To me, that's like systemic violence that like they've created, they've fabricated a world where you are forced to quote unquote feel lonely. It, it didn't have to be like this. It didn't have to be like these people are like fighting for their lives literally because they're going to turn into an animal yeah. or your theory that they're going to be killed. Either way, their human life is going to come to an end if they don't mm-hmm. find a partner. And that to me is like not loneliness as much as just desperation and just like this like 
dystopic world where it's like they're put in this hotel they don't have a choice part of the scenes we see when the loner crew goes in suits into the mall is you see police police people stop um people who are alone and like ask to show their papers to show they're married or like say like where is your partner like it's like this whole world where you have to spend all of your waking day and i so to me i took it as like a commentary on that but then what i said earlier is like it comes back around where it's like it's making this like powerful commentary on on kind of how much pressure we we do feel and those feelings are real yeah. but like we also put a lot of pressure on ourselves to like find that person for yeah. the rest of our life well, I mean yeah it's yeah right I mean it's it's this uh I don't know it's overstating the point like we've you know in the modern era so geared uh everything towards establishing a nuclear family and mm-hmm. uh you know with the you know the heterosexual cisgendered um couple like as sort of the basic unit of existence and if you know the latter half of the 20th century has taught us anything it's like that's a very bad building block to build your society on like Mm -hmm. uh you know going from like the 50s onward where it's just this like uh yeah just the nuclear family uh more or less you know, or holding it up as the ideal because I think real families don't function that way and like when you do is when it like really breaks down but and, and it's and like uh, it's it's a classist ideal yeah. that you have to have the money mm-hmm. and it's like also um, what else was I going to say about that I mean yeah it's just it's not realistic and I, oh, where I was going to go is it's, it's very culturally singular and it's yeah. it's a pursuit of happiness like happiness equals romance equals I find my partner, we get yeah. married, we have the family. Like it's like this pursuit of happiness drawn out to the point of like the point of the lobster. Where they're like, Well, you're not happy. Like yeah. until we're gonna we're gonna provide this hotel for you. We're doing you a service. Yeah. The ho- hotel is a benefit to you. And and that's what the, like the dark comedy of the first act is so rich because it's like it it seizes on all the best parts of of 1984 really like the mm-hmm. the it, it it becomes that sort of uh frankly dystopian um sort of mm-hmm. geared to to really at least at least the way that we've been exposed to it geared to um spark and, and ignite rebellion and passion in young minds like flourishing minds to it it springs into a sort of young adult dystopianism um, mm-hmm. as it as it sort of French films I think I think that was yeah. I think right afterwards it was like it, it it starts at Beckett and then it kind of French films down into 1984 and then French films back up into Beckett yep. with, with French filming being the verb in this okay. <laughs> <laughs> the movie really French films is really French movies oh man you guys should look up Dogtooth it's uh it's um I don't know it's really interesting where that looks at romance like Dogtooth um really focuses in on the evils of the nuclear family um Mm, and sort of like uh specifically the patriarch as protector and its effect on the children what you do when you cut yourself off from the world like Mm -hmm. uh just gonna warn you there's a lot of incest in that one um but is it a French film? Greek. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. But I think French films is the way to... It verbs. Yeah. It's a yeah, do, good movie, but that, man, that shit fucked me up. So I need to... Yep, I need to see The Lobster. Uh, yeah. For sure. But um, I think Wes and I might be underselling the emotional journey it takes you on. There's I a, believe it. There's a lot that, even with the spoiler warning, I think that we don't want to talk about because mm-hmm. it's... It's almost... It, it's well, almost a little bit sacred how how well, personal that's this experience is yeah well i mean yeah i mean and you're discussing like plot points and events but i mean like we're in an audio medium yeah the film is an audio visual medium yeah and i mean uh i don't know there's been a lot of times where i've like straight up read plot summaries and it just made me appreciate the film even more like the, i mean it's you know so much it it's not just a matter of plotting it's it's the performance it's the cinematography it's all these elements and this is well trod you know film theory ground but and this is one where don't fear the spoiler so much you know this this is one where if you read the plot you wouldn't even have like a quarter of what you were getting into but also it's you definitely don't want that alienation effect of like, well, when does this happen? You don't. Yeah. You don't want to be waiting for anything in this right. movie. There's a couple moments where afterwards I turned over to Wes and I was like, "Did you did you know that part was coming?" He's like, "No." no. And no, I didn't do, want him to know. Yeah. Right. You, so that part you don't. Do you want. know anything past this point of what happens in this movie? And we were only like 25 minutes in, and I was like, "No." And you're like, "Good." I was like, "Good." <laughs> it really does, and it really brings you into like it's like about power and it's about yeah. like so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It really is emotional. So yeah, there are parts you don't want to ruin, but there are parts that we could talk about. Right, at right. Length I mean, I just the you know basic setup, and again, you know, sticking to the theme. So, um, I do like. Uh, so how is it? How what's what is ben- it? What's the benefit of the worth? Yeah. So for me, again, I hate to critique it too much because it's such a damn good like film experience, mm-hmm. and the cinematography is another thing that I'm curious to get your thoughts. Um, but it also feels like kind of it kind of circles back on itself where by the end of the movie you're rooting for the couple mm-hmm. to get together which is like the thing it's like making right. fun of the whole first right. two acts it's really bizarre in that way it's a that I, I, I don't know it's like well you know you you destroy the sacred cow so that I don't know you can love the sacred cow on its own merits i don't like i mean there's so you, can love the you know i mean cow. it's a different thing like there's there's sort of the institutionalized ideal of the couple but then there is you know the absolute joy of being in a couple and yeah. it's not, like from what i've heard of this movie i think that's kind of what it's getting at like finding love on your own terms or just... right uh, well narrative wise this is the hero's journey is the 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 hero so the Part of the call to adventure is that the hero becomes so jaded with normalcy that they begin to seek uh, aberration. They're they're looking for something new, uh, and so they they say, "I'm I'm sick of this this quoting a web comic. I'm sick of this uh, crumb bum town and all the honky tonk podunks in it." Uh, and leaves their little small town and goes out into the big city or to fight the dragon or to um, be a transformers or or you know, whatever the movie Love is. Love to be a Transformer. <laughs> uh, and then uh, undergoes, the, you know, gets beaten down, meets with the goddess, is, 
becomes aware of their power, confronts their father, and then. Defeats the defeats the nemesis and comes back changed. Serious as the dark side of the moon. And when they be a man, you must be swift as the coursing <laughs> river. Alright, <laughs> Uh, but when they when they come back, they're willing to buy in, not not because the situation has changed, but because they have, and they're willing to become part of the situation and contribute to it. Uh, and that's that's sort of a it's it's a very good medium through which to view all the aspects of life. Um, it's a, it's an effective one. It's proven effective. Uh, and that so when you when you find anytime you find circles in media or circles in literature or circles in stories, like somebody somebody left this situation intentionally and then came back to it or became it intentionally, uh, it's it's not a mixed message. It's it's kind of the way things go. Mm-hmm. Um, you it, it it feeds into the idea that love and hate are two sides of the same coin or very close to each other on a a very tight C that's almost a circle and they're, they're the two points they're they're very similar things uh, and if you if you hate something very much you will find yourself magnetized to it in ways that you will not if yeah. it's something to which you're apathetic yeah but, love yeah. isn't or hate isn't the opposite of love indifferences yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 totally and uh, that's a great point too because the we didn't really get into the kind of second act star or focus the leader of the loner group yeah she's really dogmatic uh, like okay. obviously because she does she doesn't allow um you know flirting kiss like and, and i think probably you could give her the benefit of the doubt and say the motivation is safety the motivation is protection that we need to be loners like we can't but the way i like read it in the movie is that like she's kind of the antithesis of everything the hotel stands for mm-hmm. to the point of of like dogma basically and just the yeah, yeah just in basically embracing the ethos but like mm-hmm. only through negation yep yeah yeah uh, exactly pe- yeah you know not who, trying not trying to establish something new simply yeah totally uh, yeah, yeah right if all you're trying to do is get through this ridiculous life and people keep throwing up obstacles in front of you it's going to be it's going to feel like it's the extremists that are throwing up obstacles and she's uh, the other side of the extremism coin right and so that is an interesting contrast to what you're saying, Wes, where I think the movie does a good job of making her that contrast and making her just evil on the other side of the spectrum. And maybe I'm nitpicking too much by saying, like, oh, I wish there was more nuance in the characters. Because the reality is, there probably would be that kind of group. She probably, she, mm-hmm. that person would exist in that society, without yeah. a doubt. And they would have a loner group who felt safe mm-hmm. in a world where they're saying... No, you can go masturbate. Yeah, right. Be, and because you don't need to worry about this, like, love thing. That's such a... Uh, I mean, it's like... Uh, I don't know. It's basically incels to capital... I don't know. Like, that's kind of... Well, they accept the thing, but they, like, embrace this other... It's like this negation of... Incels, uh, but without the... Um, without the bitterness, because it... Right. It's... But she is bitter. But that's it's, an interesting thing. It's easy. It's super. But I mean, yeah, it's not coded as masculine as incels are, and which well, it started off as a feminist term, which is a very interesting 
mm-hmm. bit of history, but we can get into that in, a in the in the pickup uh, artist. Right. The, yeah, we'll MRA do a special. The, uh, the um, PUA, MRA, Incel. <laughs> we'll just have all of them in one big acronym in the. Yeah. But the um. Oh, but the people in this camp, they don't. Uh, obviously, they're still just as driven, just as lonely, just as trying to act on all the their human urges, but. Uh, it, there's no like part of what defines the incels is like that they feel uh, done unfairly they feel like there's been some big injustice which is I'm I'm forced to be an incel and these people are far more it, it's it's way more equivalent to men going their own way who are who are yeah. trying to uh, say right. you know what well I just I'm just not going to play anymore I'm out I'm not I'm not doing society I'm right releasing myself from this context it's like oh are you are you single or or taken oh i'm i'm neither i'm men going their own way which means what MGTOW. that's it they're they're uh yeah men going their own way they've sworn off uh relationships because they think women are vampires are they incels they're no they're incels not necessarily they can be they're kind of incels they're people who they're men who have decided that they are no longer pursuing the opposite sex and that that's where their power lies Okay. They're they're wow. they wouldn't have sex with a with somebody who they would otherwise want to have sex with, no matter what now because they're men going their own way. Do you feel like this colony is doing that? This loner colony. I I think I think that they're. It sounds like it op- operates by a similar logic. Like men going their own way basically accept the rules of society, but reject this one yeah. element of it. I I think it it makes mm-hmm. sense in that world to simplify. Just say like I mean, are, well, make m- uh. Yeah, MGTOWs, they, they, they reduce everything down to, like, power relations yeah. in a very fucked up way. Mm, yeah. Um, which, I th- which you know, is saying that, uh, right, this, this exile camp, like, rejects the rules, but still preserves the power relations. If it was a... A little bit? I don't know. Like, I mean... If men going their own way was a, was a personal epiphany that a bunch of people had and... Just, just kind of like lived with. I don't think that it would be a bad thing if you decided. But yeah, all human relationships are about power, and I have decided that I'm going to have the power in all of mine. Which is to say, every time I meet a woman, I'm a, I'm a, if I'm a heterosexual man, every time that I meet a woman, I'm going to say, I'm just going to think to myself, I, in, zero, there is zero circumstances where I could be convinced to sleep with you. And whether she wants to or not doesn't matter because I now have the power in the situation and I don't have to think about it. There's no, there's no deeper context now. I'm just, and I, I get the mindset that says I need to reach this conclusion to make it through the day. I think there are way healthier ones for those people. And I would, I would love to like, maybe I'd love to sit with them and try to get them there. But I also, I, I, think that this is one of the least harmful ways to go about your life if, if this is like where you've ended up i think it's a lot less harmful especially to have yeah. arrived at it alone i don't than, know, like, i mean it's philosophy. like right yeah in yeah. isolation but it becomes a movement and then it just becomes a bunch of like shitty bitter yeah. dudes like when it echo chambers up against bitches real on the internet it's a really violent real, real oh it's actually 
virulent misogyny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that becomes... In, intentional, like, let's see if we can piss off anti-misogynist misogyny. Oh, yeah. yeah. That becomes violent policy really quickly. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, but there, is, there, is a in, seed, in a there is a seed of a good idea where if you perceive all of this shit as power relations... Right. Like, and you do realize you're going to be happier if you just swear. I mean, uh, I w- well, there's another way to go, but it's called asexuality. Uh, <laughs> well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, these these people are sexual and have just decided that it, it's monasticism. It's it's realizing yeah. that, like, I... But it's hateful I, monasticism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. just... The, the, oh, the base idea of, I can't have everything that I want, so I'm going to completely forswear all of it. It's... I, uh, again, I don't think it's the, your healthiest option there, but I don't think it's your worst one either. Right. But that, and that's back to the lobsters. Like that's where we got is that the colony is doing the same thing where yeah. they're saying we're the we're not that. Yeah. And they're they're finding themselves by what they're not. Yeah. Rather than define trying to imagine a world. Yeah. W- to see what they could become or what they truly are to live into who they are. And the, but the oh, go ahead. Just the idea that the finality of the lobster the 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 last relationship that uh, Con Farrell ends up in, Con Firth, Con Farrell? Farrell. Farrell uh, ends up in is... Firthle? Con Firthle ends up in is is a true relation, is like, is a is a true love story. I don't think it matters. The whole, the whole movie's been about concession mm. and we've, and, mm. and not to give anything away, but like the, the climax, the real climax of the movie is about concession and it, it becomes this like, what, at some mm. point, you just have to ask yourself, you know, what what's it worth to me? How how much am I willing to give up to get out of this fucking rat race? I'm gonna circle back. I'm, or I mean, I'm like taking back my claims. You just convinced me again <laughs> why this movie is so damn good. <laughs> <laughs> and the true and the true climax that Wes was just alluding to is so real that <laughs> that it is about concession to the point that it is about. For me, I'm like interpreting it from this like, uh, like thirty thousand foot view of like, what are the power structures forcing right. you into, and what choices do you really have? And the by the by the end of the movie, we're making get, choices. By you the get end. to see yeah. what yeah, <laughs> like it, this dystopic thing uh, whittles it down to. Oh, we're making choices. A or B. What's it gonna be? Oh man, uh, that feels like why people were mad at the end of the Mass Effect series. Uh, uh, yeah, which. I always thought that made sense because I was able to play all three of those games in quick succession. Anyway, we will not talk about Mass Effect because that's you, a that's a separate podcast. You for know, me by the West. time I got to the end of the Mass Effect series, the end was the least I had to be mad. All right, let's move on. Yeah, <laughs> start our own dumber podcast. <laughs> so, uh, what do you guys think about the pick and roll coverage that the uh, Spurs have been doing lately? <laughs> I mean, I think this tears it. I think going forward, we both need to watch both movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah to I think like... you need to watch The Lobster a little more than uh, you need to watch. <laughs> that's very true. I think you've basically got... Just YouTube the, like... Uh, the bowl fuck, the bowl after we're done here, I might show you the Steve Carell, Kristen Wiig scenes. Because they're so fucking I good. I um, so I am going to, as, yeah. as official point scorer, I'm going to call it for uh, The Lobster. Ah! No this is in no way a reflection of uh, Josh's rhetoric or certainly not of Caleb's arise, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, simply based on 
um, incomparable quality of film. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, you know, the... that's objectively the right answer. <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, just wait till I show you those Steve Carell, Kristen Weeks. Uh, you're gonna have to fucking um, speak a fucking retraction on your next episode. Wait till you see the Colin Farrell. What was her name? Rachel Wise. Rachel Wise. She's married to Darren Aronofsky. The Rachel Wise scene as he's talking about what his family would have. Like okay, I Her I, I will say in that scene, I, I I will say you just describing that scene to me moved me, and I have not seen that That's film what I mean. yet. That's like what, it's dude. See, fuck, I need to watch Her, this movie. her performance in that she's not saying anything in that scene, and it's like the, yeah, the whole movie's like that. Yeah, uh, Steve Carell. If if for whatever reason you ever hear this, you you've always been my my idol, and I I, I would have if, if we weren't up against. Such an objectively better film. Actually, okay, one the picture that I'm doing the the Chris Farley Chippendales bit right now, yeah. where it's like it's just your sweaty grotesque body that disqualified you. If it, so, if it came down to the dancing or the charisma, you you really had a shot. It's just you you just know Patrick Swayze or whoever was yeah. in that. <laughs> <laughs> so so one one final point about Anchorman too, like. Steve Carell brings it in that movie. Like he's the only one that has taken all of his experience post Anchorman and like reinterpreted it into that character. Uh, Everybody else sounds like they're trying to like go back in time. And Steve Carell's like, I agree. I've, uh, that dude has never rested. Right. It's like, okay, so I started, I started here. I'm not, I'm here now. And like, okay. Brick Tamlin just gets onto some conceptual shit in that movie. Like, that that's the reason that movie owns is almost entirely on Steve Carell. You know what? I'm a, Christina Applegate. She fucking brings the thunder in that too. Like she's not in a ton of scenes, but she's committed. And it's just like Will Ferrell's flailing, David Kaechner's flailing, uh, Paul Rudd is flailing. It's Kristen Wiig, Christina Applegate, and Steve Carell. Actually, bring it in that movie. If and I was fucking, if I was Will Ferrell right now, I'd if be, you were fucking Will Ferrell, if I were fucking Will Ferrell right now, I'd be half as furious as I am if I were Will Ferrell and I had to fuck me <laughs> for one thing. But also, if if I were Will Ferrell right yes, now, don't be yourself. He could do. He could get it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, the I. I would be so frustrated because I I can't imagine that Will Ferrell is a diva, and it's it really seems like people will not challenge him anymore. They're like anything Will Ferrell does. I know, yeah, and that is so. I'd be if if somebody recorded me. It, if you post this whole thing unedited with everything that I did that was bad, just included, <laughs> I'll be furious, and I'm not important. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't that Shit, happen to yeah. Adam Sandler for a while too? I feel like <laughs> oh, yeah. he's got like, his career. He's got like yeah, oh, nine God. films that people are though, like, this is gold. Though I've heard his uh, his most recent like stand up special is pretty good. Like what? it's a good return to roots or something. Adam Sandler's not a bad comedian. He just needs an editor. No, it's like you get yeah you get too big and like yeah everybody thinks your shit's gold and yeah. it's it's not you need like the reason it was fun. Anyway, uh, so, um, okay, okay, like, getting to the end here, uh, the lobster won this round, this one, so it's, uh, one point Caleb and Wes, zero for Josh. Uh, I'd like to, 
I'm I'm proud to be on the winning team, but I'd actually like to stay a floater because I think that. I don't. Well, I mean, yeah, you, I like I'm sort of a, so I'm the host, which means I have a lot of power, and I've declared you themes are slash points keeper. Cool. Um, which means you also have power. That just means uh, Caleb is the scheming opposition. That's cool. right. Um, but you can draft whoever. Uh, so definitely going forward, I think we're going to make sure we inform each other of the movies ahead of time so we can watch both because I think that'll be better. But I think this is basically pretty good. I yeah. think there's some good nugs. I think that I think we got there. a lot of mileage out of talking about these movies. Yeah. In ways that don't like ruin them. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so uh, bringing this thing to a close, I think we need to choose a theme for for next week. Um, so we've compiled a list of 15 and it will be growing. Um, we'll probably take, you know, uh, fan submissions on, on future themes. And with 150,000 listeners, I mean, just estimate at $10 a piece on the Patreon, just, you know, first, first ep, ep off the pod. That's a couple hundo, 50 hundo K. That's right. Um, I'm just going to say right now, hundred I'm not going to be the one. Uh, sorting, sifting through the emails and DMs, and you so, know, uh, I, we've got a list here of our potential themes coming up. Uh, I just want to read off a couple just to uh, titillate you a little just, bit. Just uh, give them a little uh, tease, Wesley. So number one is uh, one butt. Uh, number two is actually going to be two butts. <laughs> now number three is where it gets exciting. That's three butts. Okay, uh, Wes, do you want to read the real list now? Uh, it says uh, number four is going to be four butts. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot work with this man. God damn it. Another podcast scuttled on the... God fucking shit, ass. The scuttlebutt. Another podcast scuttlebutt. If you use one second of this, <laughs> my agent will be on your ass. I'm through. <laughs> Never record in this apartment again. Why uh, do you actually want to read the list? Yeah, do we want to read the whole so, list. Uh, let's read the whole list. I'll decide whether or not to cut it later. Cool. Let's uh, let's go round robin. Uh, I'll start to oh, okay. the right. Okay, you start, and then we'll just we'll keep yeah. cycling back. Yeah. Uh, number one, outsiders who love humanity. Two, rituals with forgotten origins. Three, the troops. Four, love. Five, hate. Six, guilty pleasure. Seven, fake inebriation. Eight, child stars. Nine, James Carey. Ten, Precipice of Madness. 11. Sports. 12. Good Denzel. 13. Grim Denzel. 14. Father. 15. Mother. 16. Hashtag peens on screens. <laughs> so this this is the possible pool. We, we hope to grow it to hundreds of options, but... Uh, so they are numbered one through fifteen, and I've got. And that's old... why we need your money, and God help us, we we need your we need your money. We need we like money. We, we're we're so hungry. 
All right, so I've got the old uh, random number generator up here with a range of 1 to 16. Oh, you got a 69. 16. Oh, no. No. After, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hashtag peens on screen. Dibs on Antichrist. I was going to choose forgetting Sarah Marshall, nice. but Antichrist was the other one I was Looks thinking like of. Looks you got him. <laughs> uh... Do you want to re-roll? Do you seriously want to re-roll? I mean, Fiends on Screens is like actually probably fine. Let's do it. Okay, Let's we're doing do Fiends on Screens next week. Uh, probably, it's probably going to be uh, Antichrist and forgetting Sarah Marshall. Just, just like guys, it's hashtag Fiends on Screens. It is hashtag Fiends on Screens. So shout out to my boy in Toronto, Jordan Belint. Uh Jordan. Uh, he, uh, What's we, up, we, we Josh, started, sorry, I'm going to cut you off right there. I want to make a shout out to my buddy up in Toronto, uh, Borden Jalint. Uh, Wes, I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. I want to give a little shout out to my buddy in Toronto, <laughs> Torden <laughs> Jalint. Hey, uh, if you guys don't mind me interjecting, I'm kind of <laughs> friend up in Aramton. Uh, Jambo Hala. <laughs> I'd really like to just give a little, little, little hey you, That's little, little hey you, and a little boop on the nose. It's a little, uh, little. What's up, Jordan the T dot? <laughs> Jordan the T dot. Back in my hometown, Crumbo, I got a friend, uh, J Man Tay Man. <laughs> I just want to be like, hey. What you doing? J man, J man, J team. <laughs> Bolinto, Bolintos. Oh fuck. Bolinto, Babigo. <laughs> oh shit. Um. Hashtag peas on screen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this has been Odd Splice. I'm Josh. I'm Wes. And I'm Caleb. <laughs> All right, and next week, peens on screens. <laughs> we'll catch you on the flip-flop. Bye, motherfucker! <laughs>